Well, you can open up to Titus chapter 1. Good morning again. We start uh, our sermon series today. And uh, we hope that you, uh, you found your home in a Titus study, as I said. And, um, if, if, and that is a, a real offer if you kind of feel like uh, I should have signed up or I kind of, it ends up working out now on a Sunday morning or something. Just let me know. We'd love to get you plugged into uh, the study. As we kind of walk through Titus, uh, our hope is, is that if you're in this study, um, our verses won't necessarily line up exactly with the verses that you'll be going through in small group every week. Uh, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And we're going to try not to ever preach on what the study is going to kind of be focused on that, that, uh, that given week. So we'll try to kind of supplement it or kind of take a different spin in the text, but not try to kind of double up for you. <clears throat> The last month, uh, I've had multiple conversations with a, a variety of people about preaching. And something I found myself saying over and over uh, is uh, when I preach, I want to give the sermon that the Lord needs or wants me to give. What I mean by that is, you know, as I've talked to people, it's like, well, um, about how long to do a sermon or how short to do a sermon or what should be in a sermon. Uh, a lot of that you can, you can have good conversations around, but when it, kind of the push comes to shove, my hope is that I just want to give what the Lord wants me to give. And if that ends up being a 10-minute sermon, that's fine. I'm not going to try to stretch it to 30. And if it ends up being a 30-minute sermon, I'm not going to try to smush it into 10, you know? And so, uh, well... Why do I say that? Well, last night I, I got home from officiating a wedding in Sioux Falls around 9.30. Um, just kind of tired from the, from the day and I wanted to go through my sermon um, right before I went to bed just to kind of get it fresh in my mind, know what kind of tweaks I need to make this morning as I got to church and, and have my mind around it. And as I looked for it, it's gone. Sermon's gone. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I remembered on Friday, Lincoln did kind of a hard shutoff on my computer. And I didn't think of anything of it. I must not have had it saved. Just had an open document and it was going. So I spent about 30 minutes or so looking up how to recover saved documents. I was unsuccessful. And, and so what, the reason I say that is it allows me to put into practice what I had been talking about. I don't want to give that sermon necessarily. I want to just give the one the Lord wants me to give. And I think that's what we have here today. And I don't say this for sympathy. That's not why I say this. I say this, honestly, just for authenticity. Because today's sermon will be short. But I do feel like uh, the Lord has some beautiful things for us in Titus. So uh, let's pray. And then we'll open up to Titus chapter 1. And our verses are going to be verses 4 through 9. 4 through 9. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful book. Thank you for the history of, that we have in, in, our, in our church and, in, and not just living word, but the, the history of the church, Lord. That many years ago, there was a man named Paul and a man named Titus. And Lord, they had work to do. They had a passion to, to provide for people of the faith, for set up structure and, and church, Lord, in a way that could be beautiful and helpful and sustainable, God. And in so many ways, we, are, you know, we benefit from that today. Some of these early Christians, Lord, they set into to motion, Lord, along with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, the ability for us to worship here today, to know you, to love you, and continue the great commission that you've given us. So, Lord, I just pray that you can put a guard on my mouth today and that you can give me words to speak, Lord. 
so that your sermon can be preached, your heart can be displayed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. It says to Titus, My true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Some uh, versions there will say uh, not in charge of being like rebellious or wild. For an overseer, now verse 7, as God steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy worthy word as taught, so that, as, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is giving Titus here qualifications for elders. That's kind of what my heading says before verse 5 on your Bibles. It might say, uh, lovers of doing good, or love with doing good. When I read this this morning, do you find yourself in this list? When I read this this morning, do you desire this to be your life? Timothy, or Titus is given the opportunity to go and set up elders for this early church. Paul says this is what they have to look like. This is, this is what's going to be helpful for the early church. And he just goes right down here. They have to be above reproach. A husband and one wife. Children are believers. They must be uh, not arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. They hold firm to the word as taught, be able to give instruction, some versions say encouragement, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Does that describe you? And if not, do you long for this section of Scripture to describe you? This could be you. Maybe it already is. That's awesome. But my hope is that we have an entire church of elders. And I think, my fear is that sometimes as we read these things, we're like, oh, that's interesting. That's what an elder does. I'll put that in my memory bank. That's what an elder should look like. Never considering the fact that, am I called to this? Do I desire this? Or, okay, now I understand if I ever meet somebody or there's a church that has elders that that I know exactly what their qualifications are. Church, this is, I believe, what God desires for us as Christians. That if somebody was going to describe our life, this is what it would look like. And as we read this, I don't want our hearts just to say like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, I kind of get that concept. But I want our hearts to say, man, that's what I want my life to look like. I hope that that's that's the list of qualifications that somebody would say about me. And not because I want to look good, but because Jesus has just transformed me into that type of person. 
And to be honest, out of anything else that sticks out to me this week in chapter 1, it's this in verse 8 as it goes through this entire list. Verse 8 it says, but hospitable, and in this section, a lover of good. As I look through different versions this week, some said a lover of, of doing good. Lover of doing good. Paul is directing Titus here, and I think that sums it up so beautifully, to find people who love doing good. We have a culture, and I think this is maybe all of us on some level, that love to look good more than love to do good. Can you relate with that? Everybody wants to look good. But here we see in Titus that, Titus, that, that Paul's telling Titus, find people who just love doing good. That's what, I, that's what you got to find, Titus. Find people that just love doing good. If you can find people who love doing good, I feel like so many different things fall into place. But it's easy today with so many ways that our culture has kind of framed us and kind of the way we can view it is like we feel like we have to measure up in a certain way, that we have to look a certain way, that we're acceptable, that we can be proud of ourselves, that we can present ourselves, and we really want to look good. We want our families to look good. We want ourselves to look good. We want our vehicles to look good, our homes to look good. And it's like that can be such, a, such a, a focus for our lives is to be people that long to look good. But Titus here in chapter 1, it says something different. It says, don't long to look good, long to do good. Regardless of how that makes you look, just have a heart to do good. And there's a huge difference between loving to look good and loving to do good. Someone who loves doing good will do it regardless of attention or accolades. A lover of doing good will do good for the sake of others, but lovers of looking good will always do it for themselves. Sometimes the actions will be identical. You will look at someone's life and you can be somebody, you, two people can go do the same exact action. One can do it just strictly out of the sake of others and another person can do the same action and do it for the sake of how it will make them look and appear to other people. This is where Christianity can get a little bit tricky because it's not just about what we do. It's about our hearts and motivations behind it. Because as sinful people, as broken people, so often we will do good things and it will appear to be for other people, but it's really for ourselves. We will live out our callings and say, I want to do this so that I can feel assured, that I can either look a certain way or I can feel a certain way. That I can feel certain that, okay, Lord, I feel a little like I'm wavering in my faith this last week, but... Um, but you know what? I, I remember I did this good thing and I did that good thing and so I know that I'm looking good to others and I can kind of feel good about myself because of what I've done and it's a slippery slope, church, because our faith and our focus and our security does not come from Jesus Christ any longer but it comes from our track record and that's dangerous 
It's dangerous not just because you might think you're succeeding when you're failing, failing, but it's also dangerous because one day when your track record isn't that great, you're going to fall apart. Because if your track record's always on what you can do and what you've accomplished, there's failures that are going to come. And at those moments, we don't get to look at our track record, but we have to look at the cross of Jesus and realizing that Jesus Christ has made us good that he has done this transformative work, that his righteousness is placed on each one of us. That's what makes us good. Not our actions or abilities or our good works, but Jesus Christ's good works that he's done for us on our behalf. I just think back of um, my time in, in high school and uh, in high school, I would say the Lord was definitely working on my life. And I'd say that, that in this transition, uh, I was known as a good kid. Known as a good kid. And uh, sometimes that was tough for me because I was the type of kid that like in the locker room, you know, um, if somebody would swear, and maybe some of you can relate about this, they would apologize to me. They'd be like talking, they'd say, they'd swear, and they'd be like, oh, sorry, Greg. You know, it'd be like, well, that's interesting. Why would you apologize to me for, but this is what happens. I think sometimes if our striving is to be always looking good and being a certain way, then sometimes we can even feel, make people feel very uncomfortable around us. Now, let, now hear me out on this. I think that as we are living out our callings in Christians, there's going to be times that we're going to make people feel uncomfortable. We're going to look different in the world. We're just going to look different. It's going to be uncomfortable for people. But I also think that sometimes in our attempts to put on a show, to put out a picture to the world that shows that we are good and this is who we are, people feel like, man, I can't, I, I can't relate to those people. See, I'm, I'm broken, but they got it all put together. I can't really approach those people or they don't really understand or I have to somehow perform when I'm next to them too so I can kind of measure up. And that's never what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ was perfect, yet so approachable. People flocked to Jesus Christ because of his authenticity of how well he just loved doing good. He loved doing the will of the Heavenly Father, and because he was not trying to look good, but he just loved doing good, people were cont just contagiously just came around him. And church, as Jesus Christ transforms us, and as he transforms our hearts to love doing good. I believe that same exact thing happens in, in our lives. That Jesus Christ in us as we live it out just draws people in. They feel safe and they feel comfortable and they feel like we, they can approach not because they have to measure up to it but because they just feel like no matter what they bring they're going to be met and loved and cared for and Jesus obviously corrects and he walks and he moves but it's good. So today church um, the last thing that was on my heart as, as I read through and as you know I'm don't got much to go off of. But it's Luke 18, 18. I want to go there with you really quickly. Luke 18, 18. Because I think in so many ways, this story sums up maybe what's on my heart. <clears throat> and this is a story of the rich ruler. The rich ruler. Luke 18, 
18. A ruler asked him, Luke 18, 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth. How about that? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter in the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. I'll stop right there. This sermon series is called Grace for Good. See, Jesus Christ's grace, his forgiveness, is what makes us good and makes us able to do good and love doing good in this world. This rich young ruler, I feel like, is so relatable. He comes to Jesus and he looks at Jesus and he says, this is a good teacher. This guy has it all figured out. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Jesus already is looking at this young man's heart and figuring out um, he, his goodness, he's tying his goodness into his performance. Jesus says no one's good except God alone because God's performance is flawless. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to tell you a few things. Do not commit adultery, murder, steal, bear fault and witness, honor your father and mother. And he says something shocking. Yeah, I, I, I've, all, I've done all this. Yep, I've kept these from my youth. So I'm good there, Jesus. What else? And then Jesus says, well, um, then sell everything you have. See, Jesus Christ starts turning up the law on this young man. He says, you don't have any idea that you need a Savior. You think that your works, that your good works are going to be enough for you. And so, you know what? I'm going to tell you to do something that I don't think you're going to be able to do. Go and sell everything you have. We know that we're not saved by works. We know that we can't be good enough. And even if this man went and, saved and sold everything he had, that doesn't mean he's going to go and inherit eternal life. What this young man is going to find out is that he's going to finally hit a wall in his life and have to come face to face with the fact that I can't do this. That I don't want to do this. And even if he does, even if this young man goes and he sells all that he has, why would he do it? He would not be doing it for the poor in which he would give his possessions to. He'd be doing it for himself so that he could inherit eternal life. See, there's no way to be good apart from Jesus Christ. Even our best actions are normally tainted in selfishness because we're trying to look good 
or we're trying to convince ourselves that we are good. And both those things are selfish motivations. And Jesus Christ comes in with his grace to break that cycle. And he comes with grace and says, you know what? You cannot be good. No thing you do will ever make you good. So I will make you good. I will be good for you and transform your heart and mind so that you no longer have to strive for yourself. But once I take care of all of your needs, you will finally have no more needs to look after for yourself so you can finally look to the needs of other people. And God's grace in those moments, in that moment, transforms us to be good and then allows that grace to help us do good in this world. A good that isn't for self, that isn't about looking a certain way, a good that is truly for the benefit of our neighbors. And that's what Titus is all about. As we walk through this book together, church, it's all about how do we take the grace that God's given us and the change that God's put in us and do it for good of those outside the church, for the good of those around us. God is transforming us. He has made us good so that we can finally just fall in love with doing good. And we no longer have to feel like we have to look good. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for your goodness. We're so thankful for your grace, that your goodness and grace come into our lives, that you've just, just pour it over us, Lord. And even in our selfishness and even in our uh, attempts to look good or look a certain way, Lord, we just have you that comes over us that forgives us, that washes us, that makes us new, and gives us a brand new heart. Lord, I pray that we can better understand how we can live out this goodness, that it can affect those around us. Lord, that we don't live out and try to be good for our sake or to look a certain way, Lord, but that we can live out our faith truly, unselfishly for the benefit of those around us. And Lord, that's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and your transformative work in our hearts. And so God, let your grace produce good in our families, in our relationships, in our community. Amen.